coming from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews 11, 13, I'll be reading from the ESV. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. I had not intended for this lesson to be a part of our ongoing series for this year about improving our spiritual vision, but I couldn't help but think as Todd was reading that passage, the emphasis there upon having not received the promises, they were able to see them afar off, and that's through the eye, through the telescope of faith that they were able to see those spiritual realities uh, come to fruition in their lives. It's an amazing passage, and I, I think especially within the context of faith's Hall of Fame here in Hebrews chapter 11, it's one worth considering for just the next few minutes this morning. I was reading an article not long ago about uh, uh, how people traveled back in, in the colonial days, you know, by wagon and then by horse and buggy, and then eventually the car came into vogue, and and uh, then it got to be where if you were traveling some distance, uh, passenger trains was the way to travel. And then, of course, air travel became possible, and, and we see where that's going. I told you it would never last. But anyway, uh, all of those things are, are part of, of the ongoing history of our country. And, and, but one of the things that I, I, I noticed that my question that wasn't answered by reading that article was, it said one specific paragraph was dedicated to the fact that um, especially on airliners and passenger trains, all the literature was stamped with the words en route. Of course, that means, you know, that you're going somewhere. And I'm thinking, my question was, wouldn't you, if you were on a passenger train or an airliner, know that you're going somewhere? I mean, you know, I don't have to read it's in route to know that I'm going from point A to point B. But it's interesting to think, or at least it is to me, to think about how that, that is true with physical travel, but uh, especially when we consider our text. That, that kind of inscription, in route, can't help make us think as Bible students of what the scriptures say here in our text about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to read it one more time, at least a part of it. They confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And when, you th and when you read that passage and you think of, of their experiences, and then you begin to make personal application, you have to say, and so are we all. I, I think it's kind of sad that we almost always talk about these matters at funeral services. That is, we talk about the fleeting nature of life. We, take about, we talk about the reality that we, we're not going to stay here forever. You know, and we sing certain songs that we sing only, at, it seems, at, at funerals. But I want us to, without that kind of emotional sort of cloud over our heads tonight, think in terms of, of, of the fact that all of us are traveling somewhere. And that there is an ultimate destination, and we're the ones who get to decide what that destination will be. And if it were not for the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have a say-so in where we would spend eternity. But because of his redemptive work, every one of us can be justified and sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we can know what our eternal destination is going to be. 
And yet it's so very easy in this world. And, I, and I'm speaking this as a fellow traveler. For us to get so involved in the things of this life that we forget the basic premise of that song that we do sometimes sing in our worship services that I think I may have referred to this morning. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That is a spiritual truth, folks. And we sing the song, and I think it's, it's maintained its popularity among God's people because of its singular focus on the truth of the matter. We, we're not intended to stay in this world. This is just boot camp for us. This is basic training. And, and God intends for us to use this time so that we can spiritually prepare for the life to come, which is the real life. And, and we'll look at some passages in just a moment that talk about the focus that we ought to have on the world to come. And if we're so limited in our vision that we can only see what's around us and we can only see the tangible and we can't see the spiritual realities of, of God's constant love for us, his mercy and his grace and how that those motivated our God to send his son to die in our stead and to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, then we are short-sighted indeed. And we're, we're like Abraham, I think, sometimes, and the others. We're just, we're passing through. We need to understand that. And we need to never get so attached to this world that we would ever, please listen carefully to this, that we would ever get to the point where we would hate to leave it. And so if we become so attached to this world, it's going to make dying awful hard, folks. But it's also going to, to change our focus about everything. Because if we live with a constant reality that there is a life after this one, that there is an eternal life with God in his presence, nothing to separate us. We will be with God for eternity. That will make a difference in how we live our lives while our feet are planted firmly on this earth. Our time and, and abilities and energies are going to be consumed by those things that, that are meaningful to the journey that we're on. But too often they get wasted on trivial pursuits. I mean, think about the things that, uh, read another article not long ago about a guy who was in his mid-40s, still lived in his parents' basement, and still played video games all day long. Well, you talk about enabling, because his parents were financially subsidizing this guy's lifestyle. He hadn't, the problem was, arrested development. He hadn't grown up. We'll make different choices about what we can do with our lives, what we should be doing with our lives. If we realize that we're just passing through. And it also will help us, I think, to really focus on the things that matter and not just on trivial pursuits. Remember about the statement that one guy made about priorities. And, and it's not unique or original to me, but it's still, I think, on target. The main thing, he said, is to keep the main thing the main thing. And if we live with that awareness that we're just passing through this life... It will help us, I think, to clarify our priorities every day. Someone else has said happiness is a journey and it is not a destination. And that's right. But I want to broaden that for a moment and say, isn't that true about life in general? Life is a journey. It is not the destination. This is not the summum bonum of our lives. This is not all that God wants us to know, to experience, and to enjoy. Again, he just wants us to use this for the fleeting time that it is to prepare for the next life to come. And it ought to be a good thing to remind ourselves frequently of the question that was asked by our Lord in Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 26, where he said, For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
What what has a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a good question. It's a penetrating question. And it's one that we need to ask ourselves, I think, on a pretty regular basis. I, I want to share three facts with you tonight that I think will help us with our focus on, on what's really important, but also to help us to appreciate the fleeting nature of our life. John led us in a couple of songs, and one of them was that grand old song uh, about our, the reality that we're all pilgrims. And we use that, you know, by the way, John Wayne is not the one who coined that phrase. Uh, we're, we're all pilgrims. And, and we're all in the process, we are in transport going someplace. But fact number one, we all are en route to somewhere. And there's no question, but there were all travelers on spaceship Earth. I think anyone in the right mind with any uh, spiritual acumen at all would understand and acknowledge that. In fact, the psalmist said this in Psalm 89 and verse 48. What man can live and not see death? I think that... <laughs> I'm going to point out the obvious. That was intended to be a rhetorical question. What man can live and not see death? And then the follow-up question was, can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Again, I think the psalmist asked those questions knowing the answer and knowing that the people to whom he was posing the question also knew the answer. No, there are no exceptions. It is appointed unto all men once to die, and after that the judgment, Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says. And yet we don't like... We don't like to think about death. As a people, and, and I'm, not just talk, I'm not talking about the university family necessarily tonight because you're here because of, of your awareness of how important it is that we prepare for that moment when we are thrust into eternity. But I'm talking about the world at general does not even like to think about the reality and the finality of death. It was interesting for me to see a recent poll that was taken about what people fear most, and those pretty much would be no surprise to any of you, and, and, and it remains constant. The number two fear was the fear of death. People are afraid of death. You're wondering what's number one, fear of public speaking still, but fear of death. So I'd, I'd rather die than speak in front of a crowd. I guess that's the message that we take away from that. But, but fear of death is something that permeates, and, and, and the Hebrews writer addresses that. I want us to look at that in just a moment. But sooner or later, we're, we're all forced to face the inevitability of our own earthly demise. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5, and all of his ruminations about life and its meaning and trying to find purpose and happiness. Solomon said this about halfway through that great book, the living know that they shall die. There is an awareness, even though we may be afraid of death and even though we may want to deny its reality and its finality. If we're in our right minds, we know that there's going to come a time when we will meet that appointment. And if we take the time to look honestly around us and we can begin to understand, I think, the, the fleeting nature of our earthly existence and the futility of living as if this life is all there is. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. The life that we live has the pace of a race. I mean, isn't it amazing how quickly time is passing? I preached on that just a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to re-preach that. But it's like the old cynic said, uh, life is a rat race and the rats are winning. Well, it depends on your perspective. But it certainly is the pace of a race. I mean, we are rushing through life. 
But dare we ask, what's, what's the big hurry? The wise men said in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 14, this time he said, I've seen all the works that were done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and the vexation of the spirit. That's a rather uh, gloomy, negative way to look at life, but estranged from God, that would certainly be the understandable conclusion of Solomon at that point in his life. We work hard, we work long at difficult jobs just trying to get ahead or maybe just trying to break even. And what's the result? Well, again, Solomon chimes in. This time, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, and says, He that loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves silver with his income. This too is vanity. So even if you are materialistic and you acknowledge and own your materialism, Solomon said it doesn't make any difference. It's not going to make you happy. It will not bring the satisfaction that you thought that silver and gold or money and the things that money will buy would bring you. The real tragedy is that the majority of men and women are hurrying around at, at, at that tremendous pace and, and, and getting nothing that satisfies the inner need. And notice I said need that every one of us has. How important that is. C.S. Lewis is the one, I think, who said that every one of us has a God-sized hole in our lives. And only God can fill that hole. I mean, romance, pleasure, treasure, power, nothing. And Solomon agreed. As you see the conclusion of his life's experiment in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. We're traveling faster than we've ever traveled before, but what are we traveling toward? That's the question that I want us to, to focus on and think about together tonight. We dream, we plan, we talk about tomorrow. We talk about the prospects of tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring. And such an attitude, I think, speaks of our being pilgrims, of our innate, intuitive awareness that we are just traveling through this life. We often hear the comment, and especially if you hang around older people, like I, I, I tend to do more and more, you hear the comment, I want to do this before I die. We, we've come to call that, thanks to a popular movie some years ago, we've come to call that the bucket list. These are the things I really want to do, something that I want to accomplish you know, before my ticket gets punched. And it isn't wrong to dream and to plan, but unless, folks, unless we dream and plan within the purposes of our lives and within the framework of God's will, then we are doomed. And I don't mean just in eternity. I mean doomed to a, a meaningless, empty life here. Here's what James said. You're familiar with these verses. You don't even have to look them up. Come now, he said, you who say today and tomorrow we will go into the city and spend a year there and buy and sell and get gain. He said, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's James 4, 13 and 14. There's, there's a fundamental weakness in any journey that leaves out God and his will. Here's... Fact number two, God's faithful have always been pilgrims. And I'm going to go out on the limb here, but I, I think this observation would stand the test of logic and time. The more spiritual God's people have been, and, and the more spiritual God's people are in the present world, the more aware they are of the fact that life is brief, uncertain, and that we're just Pilgrims, strangers, sojourners passing through this life. 
Abraham, who was called the father of the faithful, knew that his home was not on this earth. In fact, here's what Hebrews 11. Got your Bible? Turn there. Let's look at two or three verses very quickly. Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, I've already mentioned Hebrews 11 once tonight. If you haven't read this chapter recently, do that before you go to bed tonight. Hebrews 11, I'm going to start with verse 13, read down through verse 16. And, and he's just given us a part, at least, of faith's hall of fame. By faith, these people did this and that. And, and he synopsizes their tremendous accomplishments and the faith that they had in God that motivated them to accomplish what they accomplished with their lives. And then having that list of people in mind, verse 13 begins with, these all died in faith. That is, they, they, they died Believing what they could see only at a distance. They died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed, watch that, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now... See if this, this verse does not speak to your heart and mind. And now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Folks, if you are a child of God at this moment, I'm happy to tell you that there is a mailbox in heaven right now with your name on it. Just waiting for you to... I guess fill out a change of address form. Every one of us will. And again, not to be morbid, but the possibility in an audience this, this size, one of us may do that this week. We may not reconvene here as a congregation without one of us having stepped over into eternity. That's, that's just the reality. That's not intended to scare anybody or to be morose. It's, it is the spiritual reality. And, and I believe if these verses that I've just read from, from Hebrews inspired faith's hall of fame is correct, and I know it is, that the older we get and, and the more we travel down that spiritual road, the more that destination appeals to us, the more we're looking for that city that's not built with hands. The world with all of its ambitions and all of its schemes did not capture the minds of God's faithful. They had other plans. In fact, the Hebrews writer describes it by saying they were looking for a better country. They were looking for God's country. The Apostle Peter exhorts us with these words. This is, by the way, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. If you want to mark this down, I beg you, here it is again. I beg you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Why is it so important that we do that? Because that's hindering you from your spiritual journey. If you're really serious about that eternal destination, living in that city that God built, is not built with hands, then you're going to have to be serious about consecrating yourself while you're on that journey and being God's man or God's woman. Our journey through life by God's standards is to be one of faith and love and service and, and hope of the glory to come. But if we're pilgrims, as the Bible affirms that we are, then that implies that our journey will ultimately end somewhere, someday. But what is our destination to be? Because so many have no idea of what their destination is. In fact, it's, I'm not naive enough to imagine that there aren't 
many people, maybe a majority now in our world who denies that there is such a thing as an eternal destination, that there is a life after this one, but that does not change the spiritual reality anyway. They refuse to even think about the fact that they might just be pilgrims. But we're all headed somewhere. We're headed to some eternal destination. The Bible so affirms in principle on every page. The fact that it's appointed unto all men once to die, that we mentioned a moment ago from Hebrews 9.27, points us to that reality. Many, in fact, are slaves to the dread of death. I've mentioned that already in this lesson. I want to follow that up with these thoughts. They can't really live. They cannot get the most out of life. They cannot achieve their greatest potential in life because they're so afraid of dying. Because to them, death is the end. Death is, as we mentioned a couple of Sundays ago, their idea is, when I'm dead, I'm like my dog Rover, dead all over. And there is no afterlife, there is no possibility of us living anywhere in eternity. Well, that's going to change your entire perspective while you're living here. And and so they, they live in dread of that that ultimate darkness of that moment when they are going to be eternally unconscious. And God's word defies that philosophy and that concept. Here's what the inspired writer had to say about this. And we're staying in the book of Hebrews, this time chapter 2, if you want to follow along. Verses 14 and 15. Notice not only the spiritual, but also the psychological insight that is... Uh, that comes out of this passage. Again, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have t- partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that though death, that through death rather, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The only power in this world and in the next world that exists in death is the power that Satan gives it. it you see, if there were no hell, none of us would have to worry about an afterlife. But, but Satan is the one who puts the sting in death. And then watch this. And release, verse 15, release those who through fear of death were all, all their lifetime subject to bondage. That is, they were enslaved by what? They were enslaved by their fear of death. It, it kept them shackled. It kept them, it, it, it put a ceiling on everything they did. He's simply saying that if our destination is correct, then we will not have to live our lives as slaves to the fear of death of death. Here's fact number three and the last one I want to mention. We are the ones who will determine our eternal destination. Once again, that's nothing new. You knew that coming in here. Let me ask some simple questions though that will help each of us do a spiritual evaluation and and make sure that we are going in the right direction to the right place. I think these simple questions will help us to evaluate whether or not, to, to evaluate the quality of our spiritual journey. Make sure we're going in the right direction. Question number one is, to what do you give your time? To what do you give your time? You know, when we're talking with people about their spiritual needs, I often hear people say, I don't have time. I would like to do this. I'd like to be able to be more involved at church. I would like to, do, to become a member of the church. But yet, I, my plate's already so full, I just can't imagine adding anything else to it. I just don't have time. It's amazing, though, how we have time. We make time for the things that we consider to be really important, don't we? I mean, every one of us does. And even though we may lament on a regular basis about the lack of time in our schedules, if there's something that we really want to do or we really want to get done, if we consider that important and not just urgent, we'll, we'll work it in. And we'll, we'll be able to make time for that. 
And, and again, God's word says one of the things we'll definitely all make time for if the Lord delays his return is that moment, that appointment of death. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 16, that well-known passage, redeeming the time, buying up the time, literally, because the days are evil. Or Hebrews 3 and verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. What day is that again? Today. Make sure as you evaluate your spiritual standing before God that you're able to do what we've already sung about tonight. You're able to say, it is well with my soul. And if it's not, then today is the day that you need to get right. Because you're going to meet an appointment. There's going to come a time when six guys are going to be carrying you and some preacher is going to be speaking over you. And hopefully they'll be able to say that person preached their funeral by the way they lived. And if you can do that, folks then it is well with your soul. And you don't have a fear of death that dominates your life. Or what about 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 where Paul said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Why is that, Paul? Because tomorrow's sun may never rise to bless our long deluded sight. We have no promise of tomorrow. And if you are in your heart sincerely saying, I'm going to get right with God, but I'm going to do it tomorrow or later this week or sometime when I've got more opportunity and my friends can be here with me, I'll do. you don't have a promise that you'll have another opportunity to get right with God. So question number two, what do you think about most? We are really comprised of our thought life, aren't we? It's true that physically... We are what we eat. That's kind of scary. Here I stand before you as a taco, but that's not important. We are what we eat is true physically. It is certainly true spiritually and mentally that we are what we think. Here's the way God's word summarizes that reality. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. And that's the reason that Paul encourages us to think on those things that are honest and, and just and pure and lovely and of good report and virtuous and praiseworthy. That's, of course, Philippians 4 and verse 8. Paul said, meditate on those things. You dwell on those things that are good and praiseworthy and that will lift you up and edify you and point you back to God every day of your life. And you'll be able to, at the end of your journey, Appreciate the eternal destination that God has prepared for you all this time. It isn't difficult to determine the direction, the destination of your life when you're looking honestly at your own thought life. And then question number three is for what are you willing to die? You know, a really great country was born because so many were willing to rally to the cry of give me liberty or give me death. They were willing to die for that great cause, to emancipate our country from British domination. What are you willing to die for? If you're a husband here and a father tonight, I would like to think that you could say honestly, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd die. I'd take a bullet for my family. Or if you're a, a mom and a wife, I'd die for, for my family. What is it that you would willing to actually lay your life on the altar of sacrifice and say, here's what I would be willing to die for. There are non-negotiables in my life. And if I were called upon to recant my faith in God, I'd die first. Can we honestly say that? 
about the depth of our commitment and our faith. Pity the generation that cannot find a cause that demands that kind of loyalty and commitment. Give me liberty or give me death. Jesus showed the folly of trying to to divide our loyalties in the Sermon on the Mount when he said no man can serve two masters. Matthew chapter 6 verses 24 and then later in verse 33, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why? Because you're not going to be here very long. And you need to be spending your time wisely. And you need to be seeking God's kingdom as the number one, not just as a component of, but as the number one priority in your life. And if we seek after a better country, just like Abraham did, then our loyalty is clear. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2 and verse 20 were Paul's own personal sentiments about the matter. Paul said, I am ready not only, this is Acts 21, 13. You might want to go back and reread this. This is a powerful passage by example and not just by precept. He said, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me give you just a little bit of context and then we're through. Some of the fellow workers of Paul warned him to not go back to Jerusalem. That was a hotbed of spiritual anarchy at the moment. And they were really hot on the heels of Paul and others like him who were spreading this Jesus message. And so when when Paul expressed out loud his desire and plan to go to Jerusalem, they tried to talk him out of it. And that's where that rejoinder comes in. I am not only ready to go, but I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was willing to give his life for Jesus because he planned to go with him and to be with him in eternity anyway. So might as well die in Jerusalem as opposed to some other place. No less, folks, is demanded of us. Be Faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Revelation 2, verse 10. That's a promise that's not just made to the Apostle Paul. It's made to every one of us as God's children. Be faithful unto, that is even unto the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Question number four. On what do you spend your money? As Jesus pointed out in the long ago where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew six twenty one. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, those who are minded, that is determined to be rich, fall into a temptation and a snare into many hurtful and foolish lusts. Jesus told us the final outcome of the farmer who was rich in earthly possessions but was not rich toward God, Luke 12. This man had everything he needed materially, financially, and yet he had absolutely no spiritual resources. And God called him a fool. The same night he said, soul, this is that same rich farmer. He said, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. There you see, he thought he had a perpetual lease on life. And then he went on to say, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die. If you, if you honestly investigate your spending habits, I think you can clearly see what and where your real treasure is. And what your eternal destination will surely be. If you intend for heaven to be your home, your stewardship will reflect that fact. Fifth and finally, to whom do you turn in time of trouble? If heaven is our destination, then we'll turn to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, that we may find grace to help us in time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. You know, most preachers and elders sadly will say that they have found, and this has been my experience, that only a very small percentage of people, rarely does someone who comes to an elder or to the preacher seeking spiritual counsel will admit 
or will say that I've prayed about this matter. Isn't that amazing? Amazingly tragic. I'm willing to seek out someone to talk to about this. It concerns me to that degree. But have you talked to the Heavenly Father about this? Have you brought this to his throne of grace? Have you poured out your heart? Have you, have you cried about it? Does he know by virtue of the fact that not just that he is omniscient, but that, that you've told him that this is something that is important to you? And if you're in that small percentage that says, no, I haven't, haven't thought about that, it's time to start thinking about it. The promise of the Lord is plainly stated. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Casting all of your burdens on him for he cares for you. Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 7, If your destination really is heaven, then that's the natural place to turn when you're troubled, and I mean about anything. The self-sufficient and the worldly life has nowhere to turn except to that introspection that breeds only more misery and offers no hope. Yes, it's true, we're all just pilgrims on this earth. Paul said, if you are then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3 verse 1 beginning. You know, many don't want to leave the world too far behind when they become Christians and the reality is, what our Lord said so long ago, the reality is because their real treasure still lies back in the world. They've made some superficial changes. There's been a whitewash, but they haven't really converted their hearts, their ultimate destination to God. And when a man comes to think of himself as a permanent resident on this planet and not as a pilgrim, as a stranger, as a sojourner, his affections and his goals and his desires and his aspirations are naturally going to be earth-oriented. He may show up for Sunday morning worship over in Canaan land, but I'll guarantee you his heart is still back in Egypt where his treasures are. The greatest weakness as I see it of the church is a great number of our own brethren who claim they want to live in heaven someday, but live as if this earth is their permanent home. The greatest weakness of the world as I see it is the failure of most people to understand that this earthly sojourn is not all there is to human existence. If it were, we would be obligated to make a heaven here on earth, to make this as close to paradise as we possibly could. That's what some people are trying to do right now at this minute, and, and crowd as much pleasure and as much treasure into this life as possible. Set another way as the rich farmer to eat, drink, and be merry. If there is no afterlife, then he was exactly correct in his evaluation of what life is all about. But if we understand the Bible teaching that this life is just a preparing for the next, then we're going to live our lives differently while we're here. Each of us determines what our final destination will be. And so I'm asking you tonight, will you carefully and prayerfully look at the direction of your life and ask and answer honestly the five questions that we have just considered and to know that the way to that eternal city must be through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Our Lord himself said, I am the way, the truth. Not, notice, not a way, not a truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. Tonight, through Christ, you have access to God. You can become his man, his woman, before this hour is over. 
And if you decide tonight that you want to follow Jesus and you want to commit your life to him, you want to serve him for the rest of your days, then you're to be commended for that. But to do that with the awareness that this life is not all there is, that we've got another life to prepare for. And if you need to become a child of God tonight by repenting of all your past sins, confessing Jesus as God's son, and being baptized to have all, all of your past mistakes, transgressions, sins washed away in the blood of Jesus, do it now while we stand and while we sing.